0: Transfer window deadline day delivers. And the new Socceroos boss says, G'day. (laughs) It's Thursday the 1st of February.
1: It's time for your daily dose of Sporting Agenda.
0: Your audio edition of the Fox Sports homepage. The Splash with your host, Phil Pryor. And with the Fox Football Editorial Team today, Dave Weiner and Kate Cohen, welcome into the podcast, Bunky. You two, that's a funky intro for the first time for us. Well done, <laughs> thank you. Lots to talk about to match that intro as well. Yeah, well, there is. There's plenty to discuss, um, and uh, and you, uh, I suppose, you guys, you've had a very busy day with deadline day, uh, as well as. Uh, the new Socceroos coach Bert Van Marwijk uh, addressing the media for the first time. That's a lovely pronunciation, Phil. You've done very well. You listened Thank to you. his
1: press conference when he was asked how to pronounce his name, uh, so
0: you've done very well.
2: He has cleared that up for everyone has our new coach who has been named Aussie Bert.
0: Kate and I actually last week on the Splash uh, just confirmed exactly how we should be pronouncing it. So uh, so a nice little Splash in- initiative there. Uh, really... Uh, You know, showing through. Um, Look, guys, we better do a couple of headlines first, and then we're going to get into all that uh, news. Uh, The footballing world is just buzzing with uh, with news at the moment. Also making headlines: Formula One has scrapped grid girls. No more models on the motor track. Ben Simmons's All Star claims have been boosted against Brooklyn today. Twenty four points and seven assists, he was in beast mode. Uh, reports that Roger tuovasa is eyeing a code switch. Uh, for all the details, head to the Fox Sports website. And Bert Van Marwijk has addressed the media. Uh, that's where we're gonna kick off before moving into transfer window deadline day discussion. Uh, how did he go, first of all? Yeah, look, I was very pleasantly uh, surprised by what we saw. Um, cool.
1: Going into, let me go the music in the background. Um, <laughs> going, in, look after the appointment. I was or, uh, originally when Anne Coglu. Walked, walked from the Socceroos, I was really concerned or, or not sure about where the FFA would go, how we would uh, rescue a World Cup in time with such little time to get get ready. Look, the appointment of Bert Van Marek, when I really thought about it and reacted to it and digested it, I thought, you know, this is a guy who's been to a World Cup final who has had success with Saudi Arabia, has had success in a short space of time and in the end was a really good candidate but I did have doubts when he came to Australia would he be this Bullish European who sort of just, you know, was a closed shop and didn't do anything to, to advance the soccer hype leading into the World Cup. And what was he going to say? What's his style going to be? Uh, ultimately, even though he is a coach who has adapted to very many circumstances in his career, he is still most remembered for that 2010 brilliant run with Holland, but which is symbolized by uh, Nigel de Jong's kung fu kick in the World Cup final, where mm. Holland, even some of his compatriots in Holland, were criticizing a style of play, where they came out with a really robust and aggressive style to try and thwart Spain. So uh, they were my doubts. And he's come out this afternoon, with I just thought was a fascinating, engrossing press conference where he by no means disrespected what had gone before him, but put a very clear line in the sand. And for me, the thing I took out of it, that any doubts that Australia might have about going to a World Cup and being cannon fodder or naive, and naive is the key thing, and we can rest easy at night. This guy is coming with all the experience in the world to make sure that he will tailor this team uh, in the quickest time he can to play to its strengths. Now, I know that comes down to what some people will uh, have described as the anti-and, and that's what he's been pitted and characterized <laughs> as since the appointment. But ultimately, we want to go to Russia with the best chance of getting through the group. And I think a combination of what we've Seen over the last few years and built up over that time, and the legacy of that, combined with those street smarts, combined with the uh, ideas that he put forward at this press conference, and we'll touch on those in a sec. We'll read out some quotes from that press conference. From that press conference, I found very reassuring.
2: I mean, yeah, going into the press conference, there was definitely that narrative of will he be anti Um And there are many different subplots, many different ways that we can take his comments. But I did find it interesting that he did state that he would do things his way, of course. Um, but he was also he also didn't fall into that mistake of, you know, first day in the job making outlandish statements that get people offside. Um so when David Devoudovich from The Herald Sun followed up that comment by saying, Does this mean that you didn't rate, or you didn't agree with the formation played or the system played under Ange Postecoglou. He was very quick to say no, 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 and then he did a great little spiel on uh, his beliefs and his views about the way that modern football is going. And he was very much emphasising a game where you press high up the field, you force turnovers, and then you counter attack quickly, which has links and parallels to what the Socceroos had as their previous identity under mm-hmm. Um, There is still that concern that he will park the bus, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the interesting contrasts was the way in which he used language. Now we have to take into consideration that he is speaking English as his second language. Um, but whereas was very much, we will take the game to the opposition, you know, we won't take a backward step, we'll play our way with the Aussie mentality. Van Marwijk did admit that, he uh, he wouldn't be stupid, and he understands how difficult it will be to play against the likes of France. So there's just a little bit of um, a little bit of doubt there in his language. So that is an interesting contrast. But I mean, as a whole, he didn't make any form of mistakes where he got anyone offside. He expertly avoided the Tim Cahill question Mm. and flat-batted that by Mm. saying he wouldn't talk about specific players and their strengths and or weaknesses. So I think as a whole, it was a very interesting press conference with great insights into what his views are as a coach, while also avoiding that prickly issue of upsetting um, the past and the legacy that Ange has left.
1: What I loved, which was the precursor to his really interesting, what you call spiel, Great word on um, transition football and and how you go about that. Was that he was asked, uh, you know, I know it's early, but how do you rate our prospects? And he said, I would not be here if I did not think we could get out of the group. And I loved that early confidence coming here. This is a guy who qualified and deserved to be at the World Cup through his work with Saudi Arabia wasn't going this is a second life for him he wants to go there and he wants to prove a point he wants to succeed he if he succeeds it's good for him and it's good for australian football Um, and uh, i just found that really really encouraging and also one of the other things that people have always said about local versus an international coach or a foreign coach is that uh, the local really gets what it means to australians okay that's true you can't feel that if you are not one of you know, born and bred here. But you can also observe what Australia does with sport. You can also experience playing against us and he has done that with Saudi Arabia and Holland and he mentioned very, very, very early that he was encouraged and enthusiastic about working with that special quote-unquote Australian culture and mentality. So I just found that uh, absolutely fantastic early insight and just to sum up the quote that i sort of references what Kate and I were talking about. He said, quote, I'm a realistic coach. I like creative football. I like to have the ball, but I also like to win. That's the most important thing. I think it's important we play in a way that fits the players, also the coach. You cannot play in the way the players cannot do. Balance. Balance, go to the World Cup and actually cash in on the strides of this world record journey that we took over the last four years to get there um, and hopefully
0: cause a few upsets along the way. And just quickly, how did he treat the media? Because speaking to Daniel Garb last week uh, and on the Fox Football podcast on Monday, uh, he did mention that having met him a couple of times, he can be a little bit prickly. Fresh off a flight where he looked absolutely exhausted <laughs> coming <laughs> from Amsterdam. Um, I have
1: to say, because that was one thing I was watching closely, what would his tone and mood be like? And frankly, Garth was quite expansive. Um, and I've been in t- Saudi rated press conferences during the World Cup qualifying campaign. Where I was... <laughs> You know, it was, wasn't saying anything it was very, very cagey. Um, I thought I couldn't have asked for a more interesting press conference.
2: He dealt really well with a few curveball questions. There was questions thrown in there about why did you leave Saudi Arabia? What was the fallout there? There were questions about the the classic of, um, can we call you Aussie Burt and how do you say your surname? And he he, uh, he gave a quick wink after, uh, in a way, refusing to answer some of those questions. So he dealt with it quite well. Um But, yeah, I mean, it was fascinating to see. And and as David mentioned, considering the fact he just stepped off a plane and and he's just uh, fresh into a new job, I think he handled the press conference very well and and dealt with some tricky questions well.
0: As we transition to transfer window deadline day, a quick shout-out to the Fox Football Podcast, uh, which airs off the back of each A-League round each weekend on a Monday. Sometimes some uh, Fox Football Podcast extra time action as well. Uh, And this Splash Podcast episode is being uh, simulcast and and chucked up onto the Fox Football Podcast airwaves as well. Make sure you go and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Guys, let's talk about what just happened, um, particularly over in Europe and particularly in the Premier League, just no shortage of uh, of trading going on uh, right up to the deadline. 265 million Aussie dollars
1: passed hands in the last 24 hours, up through the January 31 deadline. It's a it's a monumental. I mean, it's almost become a. A f- a f- almost a farce in a way it's such a big incredible exercise and it Pl- literally
2: takes over the actual action there was seven 100%. matches this morning and all we can talk about is transfers it's a- crazy
1: and I don't know how as a player or as a manager you concentrate on the task at hand given that's going on given that Olivier Giroud was saying farewell to one set of fans on the Tuesday in England yeah. and on the Wednesday sitting on the bench of their London rivals the next day it's incredible drama but that's what we love yeah. about the football Chelsea world. fans
0: don't really seem to care that they uh, didn't get the points last well, night that- well, They've got well, on their well,
1: well, well, I think Chelsea fans weren't too happy about <laughs> losing to Bournemouth at home. But, <laughs> I mean, January is normally meant to be the quieter window. It's the window where you get a bit of a Mr. Fix-It-In, you, mm. you plug a few gaps. Yeah. This is a window that started a month ago with Virgil van Dijk into Philippe Coutinho into Alexis Sanchez and has ended with a three-way domino of pierre Emerick Aubameyang, a player that I can't wait to see in the Premier League week in, week out. But if you'd asked us a month ago, would he be in the Premier League in, in February? I'm not sure he would have said so. He's there, thanks to Michy Batshuayi being loaned out from Chelsea to Dortmund. And then Aubameyang gets to go to Arsenal because Arsenal get rid of Olivier Giroud and send him to Chelsea. A mm. London rival. They've now sold to Manchester United and Chelsea in the one window. There's so much to digest. The simple thing is, I can't wait to see Aubameyang... I think it's a good deal for Chelsea because I wasn't a huge rap on Betjuai and I think Giroud, they've got a proven scorer. I think for Giroud, he gets a bit of a pay rise, who gets probably a higher chance of Champions League football next year as well by staying at Chelsea and a chance to showcase himself for the World Cup spot with France. I think it's probably a win for him as sad as he might have been to leave Arsenal. Uh, fascinating stuff all around and lots to digest.
0: Yeah. Is, it, is it a flukishly busy... Uh, transfer window or or are we seeing a a general worldwide sporting trend uh, towards more action happening through trading and and market Uh, we've just seen in the NBA a huge deal go down and they're kind of the trailblazers of this uh, whole trading thing and it seems to be transferring to other sports football's been trading for a million years but as you say this has been a a particularly busy uh, window.
2: Yeah, it was huge. Plenty of records broken. We heard the outlandish stat that Manchester City, uh, in this season alone, has spent more on their defence than fifty-two countries across the world. They <laughs> on broke their,
1: on their military defence. On their military <laughs> defence, <laughs> yes, on defending
2: their land. Manchester City have spent more than fifty-two countries uh, wow. with just buying defenders, and the, they they spent a, a record sum in getting another defender in. The day before deadline day, but all across January we saw records broken. Coutinho leaving Liverpool for Barcelona has meant he is now the second most expensive player in world football history until... Um, the Killian Mbappe deal goes through in the summer. Liverpool smashed the record for the most expensive defender with Van Dijk to kick off the window. Mm. The the sums of money quoted around the Sanchez-to-United deal were scary considering he was coming off contract. And then you've also got to take into consideration the money splash for the likes of Aubameyang. And, ridiculously, the, the prices that Leicester were demanding mm. for Riyad Mahrez. Mm. This is a player who has done very, very well in the Premier League since he helped Leicester to the title. Um, but... The fact that he can even be named around the figure of £95 million is ridiculous mm-hmm. when you've got uh, someone like Aubameyang who goes for f- 56 to £60 million pounds, and then you've got Riyad Mahrez quoted at 95 It's no wonder that City pulled out of that deal, but now the the, the numbers are soaring. It's It's probably not sustainable, but it's certainly a trend mm-hmm. in football with TV money coming that- into it.
1: That's a key point and it's the short-termism at the moment, yes. the desperation, the need to wear these massive... We look at Chelsea who are dropped, who slipped down to fourth this morning and this season is all about a failure uh, if this current trajectory continues uh, and they're the defending Premier League champions. So that the crazy amount of money these big clubs have to splash around, for example Barcelona can take Coutinho in a January, uh, they can spend a panic buy on Dembele because of what happened with Neymar at Paris Saint-Germain, the dominoes in that sense. Mm. How... Uh, how long it's sustainable, I don't know. The money is absurd. The money being handled by player managers is absurd. But uh, that, in terms of why this January has been particularly busy, I, I believe it's that combination of TV money and uh, the absolute short-termism of football where
0: no one can afford to wait for next season. On the Fox Sports website, you've got a, a piece up just kind of stating the winners and losers just out of the final 24 hours of the uh, yeah, the trade yeah. uh, window. But overall... Arsenal, would you say they've uh, they finished ahead or behind um, yeah, good question. through this window? Really good question. And that is the debating point. And you put them ahead just
1: because, from a uh, hype or um, even just a symbolic point of view, uh, the big fear all season long, before the season, was they're coming into a season under the cloud of probably losing their two talisman, their two key stars, the two marquee figures. Uh, in their club at a time where they're sliding further and further down the table away from the Champions League into sixth how relevant they're going to be how are they going to be able to sign these big names going forward Sanchez has walked yet symbolically they, whether they've replaced him adequately or differently um, or whether the, the signings they've made in Aubameyang and Henrik Mkhitaryan are the priority for what the club needs to get the most balanced 11 they're really good questions but they were able to get in Mkhitaryan top class player Aubameyang top class player and keep keep Ozil Ozil. yeah that's right give him the pay all three have got bumper pay grades so they're flexing their mind 350,000 pounds a week Ozil uh, I mean talk about dizzying money I mean fair income. but (laughs) so symbolically they are winners I don't know necessarily that we're going to see a drastic improvement from them because you've got to integrate two players even though they are former teammates at Borussia Dortmund. They've got to come into this lineup which is hugely imbalanced and got huge weaknesses through the spine and in terms of mental fragility. We just saw that the other day in their loss there. So... But for the feel of the fans, it was really important that, that they went out and made a statement. And uh, the Ozil thing, in terms of winners, I reckon he's one of the big winners because he sat back through this whole thing, went quiet in January. It was all about Sanchez. We always knew it was all about that both of them could hugely double their money or if they left. Sanchez has done that. Uh, Ozil didn't. And he watched the other two come in, Aubameyang and, and Mkhitaryan. He said, right, well, if they're coming in, Mm. They take two and three on the pay scale and you're putting me at number one and they were on massive money and he's gone up and made his and pumped up his wages by a very handsome, I think, I think almost 200,000 pound a week to be yeah, honest Yeah, he you. was
2: on about 140,000, 145,000 him and Sanchez at the time before they'd re-signed or signed for Sanchez, signed for United. They were the two equal highest earners at Arsenal. So, Arsenal have spent huge money. And as David mentioned, that they've still got huge deficiencies within their team. Petr Cech is ageing and he's clearly not what he used to be and what made him a legend when he was with Chelsea. Uh, they've also got a leaky defence. They've got a lack of depth um, across the back line. But they do have some talent that can win matches. And considering Lacazette's struggles up front, bringing in Aubameyang, someone who has scored... Goals for fun in Germany, that that bodes well for them to fix that problem. So, it will be interesting to see how they integrate it all. But just mm. purely for the Ozil re-signing, I think that just tips them over the edge for deadline day.
0: Was January a good month for Manchester City? Oof. That's another good question.
1: Um, I Just going back on the money thing... Um, what I find interesting with City now is they've pulled out of a couple of deals because these other clubs know they can hold them at ransom. They know how much money City have, and City have for financial fair play restrictions as well. Mm. They don't want a wage bill that's going to spiral rid- ridiculously out of control. When they were in for Sanchez and pulled out because they, they cost thought, too much. yeah, and they thought they could gamble on maybe getting him for free in the summer. At which point United came in and trolled them and swooped in and and, and, and snuck in and signed him. Mm. Um, same with Mares. I mean, the price that Kate quoted before for Mares, Leicester basically saying, we know what you can pay and we're not letting him go for anything less. How Leicester deal with a discontent player now is a, is a consequence of that. But um, they're in an interesting spot because of Kate. they're going to romp on, they're going to the league, they've got a fabulous squad still, yep. but they're in a position to compete on four fronts uh, and they've got Gabriel Jesus, who was injured. Lira Sane is injured. We don't know the full diagnosis, but David Silva got injured this morning. Um, Mares or Sanchez. Mares is a late sort of, let's go see if we can get him. Uh, would have placated that somewhat. Um, they don't. Um, so, are they winners or losers? Look, they have signed a talented defender in Laporte um, for... $100 million Aussie dollars, um, <laughs> as you do when you've got For a 23-year-old coming yeah, from uh, Athletic, athletic Bilbao, who
2: are, who are not a, yeah, a giant in crazy. Spanish football.
1: But they did need someone to come in for the aging Vincent company. They've loaned out Enequim Mangala to Everton, which proved that they didn't think he was the player to to uh, come in for him down the track. Otamendi stays, Nicholas Otamendi, so they do rate a future for him. Um, so, given that they have got replacement for company and depth in that area that's a par given their injuries and the fact that they did have a few misses
2: hmm interesting yeah, there are a few ironies with that, particularly with the David Silver injury. So there was some very quick users on Twitter who, as soon as David Silver was forced off um, before half time in in City's game this morning, saying, "I wonder if Manchester City will all of a sudden open up the checkbook for Mares." But of course they resisted, and and they didn't bring in Sanchez either. So um, and ultimately, City were the ones that sparked this kind of supercharge. Of transfers when they yeah. when the new uh, owners from Abu Dhabi came in when they splashed those huge sums for Rubinho to pip Chelsea at the last minute, <laughs> um, it, it's crazy how football uh, rapidly evolves um, and and spirals. But yeah, they missed out on targets that they wanted because they weren't willing to pay. But they've still got a frighteningly good squad, even with injuries. They're, as david mentioned they're still on track to win four competitions perhaps you could say that they've just nudged onto the loser end of the scale because of what this might mean for the champions league um, they needed reinforcements to ensure that they can compete on multiple fronts the premier league is already just about wrapped up that it would take an almighty collapse for them to not win that competition with them mm. now being 15 points clear it's the champions league that they must go deep in they made the semifinals. They made the final four last year. Guardiola was brought in to win European silverware with the city. That's his job uh task. That's his task. Um, he wasn't able to do it with Bayern Munich. He's now got good opportunities to do that with City, considering I mean, even Bert van Marwijk mentioned it. He said that Manchester City are the best team in the world right now. Mm. The expectations on City are huge. With the, the injury to Leroy Sane, for it's expected to be about a month. With the injury to Gabriel Jesus, who still has a fair chunk of the season to miss with that knee injury, and with question marks over David Silva, it's re- they really are now worrying about you know who who is the youngster that they're going to throw in in the absences of those first team stars? It'll be interesting to see what Guardiola does. Everything he's tried this season has worked, but they did miss out on a couple of big targets.
0: We saw uh, transfer action with uh, at at other uh, Premier League clubs like uh, Newcastle, Swansea, mm. uh, Southampton, Crystal Palace, and West Ham, uh, who mm. also ended up in the in the bad books this morning um, head to the website for that one in, involving a, a racial situation um, but what was what was one of the other transactions that that stood out for you guys
1: club record I mean Swansea broke the club record £18 million pound to reunite Jordan a with his brother and Andre, are you? And also signed Andy King from Leicester, a very experienced midfielder, and uh, campaigner for well, I think best part of a decade for the Foxes. Um, look, they're stuck in a relegation fight. They are improving, and so two experienced hands as a tonic for them, perhaps. Um, that could end up being some good business. Time will tell with that. Southampton's an interesting one for me too. Struggle to reinvest the money they earned from Virgil Van Dijk, and they are sliding at a rate of knots it would be very concerning to Saints fans. Um, and Palace, that was a funny one because Palace uh, thought they were going to... Well, they were in negotiations with Ibrahim Amadou, the Lille captain. Uh, Lille have a transfer ban, so they can't sign anyone. So they tried to get a player back for that they had on loan out um, so they could have a replacement for him. They couldn't get it. So Amadou, who was in London, um, saw the deal break down um, and uh, they, they missed out on him and a couple others late on. But uh, they're also a team that's improved on... a dire start to the season to um, you know, put themselves on a chance of survival this year.
0: Okay, for uh, for all the listeners out there that want more information uh, tell us whereabouts on the Fox Sports website uh, they can go, what can they expect to find across this uh, massive uh, deadline day and also uh, Bert Van Marwijk yeah. addressing the media for the first time. Well we
1: hope we've made it as easy as possible for all the punters <laughs> out there to digest you can, uh, there's uh, obviously the winners and losers, there's the comprehensive deadline day wrap. And if you were sleeping, which hopefully most of our listeners were, you can relive how the night unfolded in our blog as well. We have breakdowns for all the fans of the top six clubs. You can have a look at a really good synopsis of what their club's business was over January. If you just want the information, we have that as well in terms of ins and outs and deadline day deals. And there's plenty of analysis around on Bert Van Marwijk as well. Uh, tomorrow we'll have, on Friday, depending on what time you listen to this podcast, a full comprehensive review of all of January's transfer work from each Premier League club. That's going to be as a well. big <laughs> Thank Thankfully, I'm not writing it. My job's done for the day good, good. <laughs> in that regard. Um, and uh, just, I guess, one thing we didn't touch on, which you can find as well, some A-League transfer news as that window wraps up. And Kate, what caught my eye was Chris Oconomides coming to the A-League with the Wanderers. We talk about Van Marwijk, who said that he wants to see if a gem pops up or not. Economides was one of those gems under Ange Postecoglou. We haven't heard from him for a little while. Um, I think this is a great thing for the A-League to get a fresh face fresh narrative and great for a young Aussie to hopefully come in and get some game playing and, and rebuild his career.
2: And reuniting himself with Yosep uh, Gombao after that very short stint when he was the Oliru's coach. And also we saw uh, Mark Milligan train for the first time with Al Ali after completing that deal from Melbourne Victory. Sydney FC have found a replacement for Sebastian Ryle. They've signed Ben Wallen from Adelaide United. And Koubina uh, Arpia is off to South Korea. That's not something I thought I'd say, mm. but well done to him. The Mariners uh, accepted a transfer bid from an unnamed club, so they've uh, let... Arpia go off and and pursue a career in asia um which seems like it's it's good for all parties mm. and yeah there's there's still some more things to come i'm sure in the in the world of a league transfers which aren't really transfers they are more mutual <laughs> releases of players <laughs> but interesting nonetheless
0: that's another topic for another time <laughs> <laughs> anything else to add or, or can we conclude here
2: it's been a ripper of a day oh and don't forget if you want to actually watch all of the goals from the Premier League action which of course there were seven games this morning <laughs> you can also check that out at foxsports.com.au forward slash football
0: head to the video section of course Dave Weiner thank you very much for joining the splash pleasure time for coffee and Kate Cohen of course as well thanks Phil yeah that'll do us thank you to all our listeners and subscribers out there uh, AFLW preview tomorrow of course the season kicks off Friday evening Um, yeah and that'll do us that's a wrap